Uh, you, you'll figure out GarageBand one day. Yeah, I'll, I'll figure out how to use this. I know how to split a track and make it louder. <laughs> that's <laughs> so really all you need that's to That's really do. all you need. I know how to press record, that's and I know how cord. to stop it from recording. And I know, I know that there's a grid of some sort. <laughs> that's all it is. I don't even know that. Like, the first time I started working with a drummer, John Blank, yeah. he was like, we're going to record to a metronome, right? And I was like... Uh, what? <laughs> yeah, sure. We're totally going to do that. Yeah. yeah. And he's like, well, if I'm going to play drums, we're recording to a metronome. And I'm like, all right, well, I got to figure out what a metronome is. <laughs> yeah. Step one, buy, get get a metronome app. You don't have to buy a metronome these days. Yeah. Just get, a, get an app for it. There's an app for that. Yeah. I spoke the same tongue as the color of my skin Maybe the broken pieces can be put together within If I read all the books from my mother fatherland I could regain a history that I never could understand If my culture was a conscience and my country a door frame Maybe I would think twice before Walking through in my name No matter how many ways I learned to say amen I find myself the same place Again and again and again and again and again Hello and welcome to the EduPunks Podcast. This is your host, Craig Biedemann. I'm excited to bring you another episode with an everyday educator and daily disruptor. This week, I'm chatting with Chris Lee Rodriguez. He is from the bands Really From and I Kill Giants. I Really From is still kicking, I Kill Giants, not so much. But this episode focuses on the brand new EP that Chris has released called It Could Happen. Chris is also an uh, educator in the world of music. He teaches kids how to play guitar and a whole bunch of other instruments and you get to hear a lot about his experiences teaching and how he reaches the kids through music and through song uh, which is a fantastic story and he has a lot of really wonderful uh, gifts to share with you in this conversation. We also dig into a lot of things that has have to do with uh, Hurricane Maria which devastated Puerto Rico and devastated uh, a good a good amount of Chris's family that live on the islands. And so it was really great to get to hear his perspective on that and how this, uh, how it influenced part of this album as well. Um, you know that I'm a part of the connect edu network, uh, connect network. You can check out all of the podcasts, uh, within our network, within higher education and education at large. There's a lot of different, uh, people that you can go listen to and ha- have their podcasts in your ears as well. Even if it's not just me talking in your ears, you can go hear from Dustin Ramsdale and Josie Alquist and some other friends of ours. Um, but yeah, go to connectedu.network if you want to hear more podcasts and learn about more of what, what, what happens there. Also, the Art of Survival is still a thing. That's what Katie and I run. Uh, we are actually going to be supporting uh, Chris's album release show at the end of the month at the Democracy, Democracy Center in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, we'll be tabling there with a bunch of other organizations supporting Chris's uh, release uh, and a bunch of other nonprofits that are going to get uh, that are going to be benefited from the people who show up at the gig. So if you're in the Boston area, uh, details on that show 
are uh, in the show notes if you want to come check it out. And if you want to hang out with us, you want to meet Chris, you want to just like chill out and get to the gig, get to the gig. Uh, but The Art of Survival is our nonprofit that supports trauma survivors uh, through art and through storytelling. If you want to learn more, go to artissurvival.com. And now I'm not going to dilly dally much more, but I'm going to take you to this conversation with Chris Lee Rodriguez. So I'm sitting in a studio in a recording or not recording a practice space. Yeah. With uh, Chris Lee Rodriguez. How you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. Yeah? Hell yeah. Um, Chris and I were recently uh, housemates for yeah. like a month. Uh, Chris came and stayed with us for a little bit over the summer, which is super fun. We got to hang out a bunch. Yeah. And uh, I got Shark to listen. Tank. Yeah, we watched so much Shark Tank, and I got yeah. to watch Chris get so angry Oh yeah, <laughs> so many things. Yeah, it was a lot. It was a lot to process. <laughs> Mr. Wonderful is your favorite, I know. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, man. And there was the... Who's the Cuban guy? Uh, Mark Cuban. Mark Cuban, yeah, yeah. That guy's... Oh, man. There's so many. There's just so many of the characters on the show. It's, like, still one of my favorite things to watch. <laughs> yeah. I put it on when I'm feeling alone at home, and then, you know, it just makes me feel like I have... Uh, my family and my friends are surrounded surrounding me. Yeah. The Shark yeah. Tank family. That's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting thing. But what I loved is I got to hear you play guitar all the time, which was super great. Um, and so we're going to talk a little bit about that. But first, Chris, why don't you tell people about who you are? Uh, I am Chris Lee Rodriguez. I'm a musician. I'm, an, I'm a teacher. I teach at a bunch of places. Uh, I play in, in bands. I write music. And um, I rant a lot about Puerto Rico on Twitter. <laughs> That's so, true. And true. we're probably going to get into that a little bit today yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but hell yeah, you mentioned being a teacher. Mm-hmm. Let's just jump right in there. I mean, this okay. is a EduPunks podcast. I like to talk to people who are like educating in the world out there. Can you tell folks a little bit about what you do in terms of educating uh, the kids? Right. So right now I teach a couple places. Um, I teach part-time in Brookline uh, as a traveling conservatory teacher, so I teach instrumental classes, uh, guitar ukulele classes, and uh, a music production class. And then I teach at uh, this nonprofit in East Boston called Zoomix, um, and I teach private uh, guitar lessons, and those lessons are subsidized, mm-hmm. so those kids, uh, students who get to go to Zoomix pay under market value Hmm. so they pay like 20 bucks for an hour lesson which is very very affordable and then there are kids who take uh i I teach a ukulele class to uh the sprouts program they have which is dedicated to seven to eleven year olds because it was mostly like a teen Mm -hmm. center but they have programming for uh for younger people too like uh elementary to tween age Mm -hmm. and so that's also a really cheap class i think it's like they, that's another subsidized class they take that's like $5 a lesson, and they also have free programming too. Uh, and I'm in the process of getting uh, teaching more ensembles hmm. at Zoomix. That, it hasn't been solidified yet. And then I've, I've taught other places too. I, before being back in Boston, I taught in New York for a few years. I was a teaching artist through different nonprofit organizations. So I, I worked in the Bronx, I taught in Queens, I taught in uh, Harlem. Um, and Washington Heights, 
and I dang think all over. That, yeah, all over. Just I wasn't really much in Brooklyn or Staten Island, but the three three of the five boroughs I taught at. Um, and it was like same thing, teaching uh, guitar classes. Uh, I taught like a percussion class, a music theory class, after school clubs, and really got to know about the nonprofit arts world yeah. in, in New York, which is kind of interesting. And there, it's like pretty intense. It's pretty intense. New York, I think, is like the largest public school district in the country, mm-hmm. I think. And then also one of the nonprofits I worked at, which is like my favorite place to ever talk, my favorite students. Uh, that was in the poorest congressional district in the country, dang. in the High Bridge in Bronx, right down the street from where uh, Cardi B grew up. Oh, dang! Yeah, yeah. So all the kids love Cardi B. They love a boogie, and just all like all like that Bronx hip hop they're about. Damn. Yeah, that's intense. Those kids are sick. That's awesome. Um, so, like, when did you start playing guitar and playing instruments? Like, was it like pretty? consistent in your household or did you just pick it up uh it's like a mix so i been playing music since i was nine playing instruments since i was nine um at the public school i went to in fourth grade you join band and the summer before fourth grade you do a summer workshop class so that was 99 2000 something like that so i wanted to play saxophone because bill clinton played saxophone <laughs> and that's that's all I knew about Bill Clinton is that he was a president. He played the saxophone, and my parents shot, like sheltered me from everything else that was going on about Bill Clinton. <laughs> so I knew he played saxophone. I was like, oh, I'll play saxophone too. And then my mom made me take piano lessons, which I like didn't know why I was taking them. Mm-hmm. And my mom was like, you have to take piano lessons. And I was like, why do I have to take piano lessons? Like mm-hmm. you're just gonna take them. And so I took piano lessons, and then uh, was like, like picked up fairly quickly. And did like played saxophone. Those were the only two instruments for a few years. And then um, after my parents got divorced, I moved to a different town and saw the movie School of Rock oh, with Jack Black. And that movie made me want to play guitar. But I was like the if you ever seen the movie, you know, like the Asian kid who was like, yep. "Oh, I'm not cool enough." I was like the Asian kid who was like, <laughs> "I'm not cool enough." So um, I was like, I told my mom to start a band. It's like, oh, I'll play keyboard in the band because I could play piano. My mom's like, why don't you just play guitar? And I'm like, oh, I'm not cool enough to play guitar. But then <laughs> she got, she gave me lessons, and I started picking up guitar very quickly and just kind of like really fell into it Damn. and was really uh, and kind of how I was like guitar was cool because it wasn't like how uh, I was like traditionally taught with music where like you see like read like sheet music and play classical stuff. I was mm-hmm. like taught learn guitar through like classic rock. Yeah. So I like learned like. Jimi Hendrix tunes or Led Zeppelin tunes, and then like I was really into punk music, so I started pick, learning how to play Green Day songs by ear, mm-hmm. and just like hearing the song, be like, oh, this is the score, this is that, um, and just got I just got really really into it and started mm-hmm. just like rolling with it, and then just kind of went from there, and then I found out that you could go to college for guitar, and I thought that was like the craziest thing. So was that was like, like a life altering for you? Like I can just do this at school? Yeah, no, it really was. <laughs> My sister's like, yeah, you could just go, like, Berkeley's like a school where you could just study guitar. And I was like, what? That's crazy. Yeah. And then I, I, I applied and I got in. Nice. So, yeah, so I've been doing it ever since. So you've been a, you were a Berkeley kid? You kind of ran uh, in those circles, too. Kind of, yeah, yeah. I went to Berkeley, hung out, hung out with that crowd. Um, yeah, I, was, I guess the, the, the circle, like, the whole gang of us that, like, came from there, like, um, everyone... Like all our friends, like Sai, Michi, everyone that I've been bands, I've been bands in, with, played bands, played in bands with, uh, <laughs> were some way, one way or another, I met through Berkeley. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I always wanted to. I think I always wanted to go as a kid, just because I wanted. It was like, 
far enough from home, but still close enough from home too. Because I grew up in Jersey, and I didn't want like I got into like that. I got to Berkeley, and I got to New School, um, and New School was in New York, and like I got I got a little bit more money from Berkeley, and New York was like a little too close to home, and I was like yeah. I want to kind of like get a get away from Jersey. That's legit yeah. that you got into the New School though. That's one of those schools that I was yeah. interested in. Yeah, it's crazy, and it's funny because I got to that school. After, I, I auditioned for that school after I got into Berkeley, so I was like mad cocky and really arrogant, <laughs> and I was like, oh, I'll just do this. I was like texting during my interview, just with someone. I was what like, a an dick. A, I was a piece of shit. <laughs> and well, like, oh, to be fair, like the one was like, like was like, excuse me. I'm like, okay. And then I took out my phone, and then she comes back, and I'm like, yeah, <laughs> and just put my phone away, and just I don't know why I, I was like such an arrogant asshole. And At what, I was like, 18? 18, which is like. <laughs> pretty common yeah. for 18 year olds but I, they gave they like let me uh, accepted me dang to school that's pretty sweet so so when you were at Berkeley were you like learning like is that where you got like even a bug for like how to teach that stuff like did you learn from your professors and be like oh I think I could do some of this stuff too is that how you where, where did it bridge you getting into teaching this stuff uh so I think teaching uh, I happen to like my desire to teach was a little bit before Berkeley. Oh, okay. So uh, I had a great choir teacher um, in high school that I really liked, and um, how she taught me about like she taught music theory class, and how she taught music theory was very enlightening for me. And I, I always like she kind of sparked the interest of like approaching music from like an academic lens and like really interpreting that way. So credit to her, and then my sister went to school for music ed. Um, and I was like, oh, I should do that too. And then when I, when I got to Berkeley, there's like, it's a music school, but there are different tracks. So you could do business and engineering, performance or education or, or therapy. And I was like, uh, I don't want to do business because uh, I'm not a capitalist pig. Uh, Shark I do Tank, though. Shark Tank, yeah. I do love, <laughs> I do love watching them. I do love a good, I do love a good tank. So um, not a capitalist pig. Uh, I can't do engineering or sound design because I'm not that, like, my brain doesn't work that way. Mm-hmm. So I, I just I didn't really understand it. And performance, I was like, uh, I'll, maybe it was confidence is not that good, but I was like, oh, I want to, like, help people. And I want to do something that's proactive and, like, helpful in the community. So that's where kind of teaching uh, was the route for me. And the, there was a program that uh, Berkeley had called City Music, which did, they, they offered like Berkeley education to uh, youth in the greater Boston area. So Matt Hull, who plays trumpet really from, he got a scholarship to Berkeley through City Music. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. so he, he went through that program. Uh, some other people I work with at Zoomix went through that program, and a lot of students go through there. And it's, it's really... It's, when I was doing I volunteer taught a lot when I was in Berkeley. So I taught, volunteer taught through them. Uh, I did, uh, there's, I taught this program called Genuine Voices, which they went to detention centers mm. and gave like many music lessons to kids at detention centers, which was pretty cool. And then I uh, did a lot through, I helped with the poetry club at Berkeley too and taught a lot of different like poetry workshops yeah. I got like real into like slam poetry for a minute oh, when I was there that's too. my jam yeah right yeah <laughs> it's like the, it's like that was the thing because it was also when you go to music school everything's music so yeah. it kind of gets overwhelming so I was like I need an extracurricular from mm-hmm. this thing that what used to be my extracurricular mm-hmm. you know what I mean so that was kind of like where when you're around the, the creatives of all types I right. imagine everyone's got to have a little bit extra in them that's yeah. outside of their their concentrations so. yeah you gotta like stand out or be like 
It was like an identity thing too. Well, and that's a <clears throat> that's kind of like what happened in my undergrad. Like I went for English and education, and so a lot of my writing courses, I would make friends with like other writers, and then we realized, oh, we we might focus in like short stories and novel writing or whatever, but like we also have some poetry in us. So yeah. we, would, we would gather on like Saturday nights, drink some wine like pretentious assholes and <laughs> workshop each other's poetry. Right. Like it was basically class outside of class. Exactly. But you're like, what, like late teens, early twenties at the yeah, time. Yeah. yeah, Early twenties, so. just like hanging out, like yeah, so being like the people that we were trying, like trying to, trying to emulate, you know, like For big sure. old nerds. Yeah. But like none of us wanted to be poets. We just wanted to like, Exactly. share a voice and share some ideas that might lead to something else like yeah know. exactly in our world like i have friends who like kind of like suck with it and got like really successful in that world too yeah yeah, yeah. Poetry. and it's like it's cool it's, it was just also another way to make friends too yeah and Hell just yeah. have like another community outside of the community i already had yeah and i say that as someone who was like very antisocial in college <laughs> to begin with so were you <clears throat> kind of i don't know i wasn't like like I had, I like had friends that I, like I hung out with a book core group, but there was like be like nights where I would just like stay in and just like do homework or just like not like going out a lot. Like there was a like thing you know, like my like my friend Sai. I feel like he was like mm-hmm. he's a very like sociable person, yeah. like very social and like really like awesome. But that's like his vibe that he he knew so many people mm-hmm. at Berkeley because he was like so sociable. And there are people I went to school with I don't remember their names. And mm-hmm. I was like, oh yeah, that that person. <laughs> or I just like I just didn't know certain people because I just never went out that much. Yeah. So that's fair. That's fair. You know what I mean? But I it was mean like, even like even like in the month that you stayed with us, I was like, oh Chris kinda kinda keep to himself. That's chill. Yeah, that's yeah. Like I don't mind. Like yeah. I mean I I'm like the most social person. Yeah, you're. That's I feel like that's one of your like skill sets. Yeah, and so, but I also people. have to like decompress a lot at home. Yeah, so, like my home time, like I don't like to even go out that much, just because like it's a lot for me to always be on. Yeah, like where it can be hard for like a more introverted person to like even just like go put out that initial energy. Yeah, for me, it's like always having to be on is that drain for me. <laughs> yeah, it's hard. It's yeah, it's tricky. It's very tricky. I feel I feel you too. Yeah. Basically, it's just hard to exist. Yeah. That's, that's what, what it comes down to. And when I'm home, I just want to like be at home and just like chill. Yeah. You know what I mean? And just not have to interact. And watch anime. And watch shit. a shit ton of anime. Yeah. yeah. That's life. Yeah. That's that's, that's like like I, I watch, Katie went out for a few hours yesterday and I just watched Attack on Titan. Yeah. For like two hours. I just had Attack on yeah. Titan. Yeah. Have you seen, have you caught up? I am not fully caught up yet. I'm in the third season right now. Oh. Yeah. Cool. I'm in the middle of the part where it's kind of like slower, um, where they're just like doing a lot of plotting and a lot of like strategic, like strategic stuff. So I'm yeah. like waiting for the chaos to come down. I've read yeah. the... I've gone through the colossal editions, so okay. I have no, I have no, I have an idea of what's coming up. Okay, are you caught up with like caught up, caught up with like where the manga is right not now? Not completely, oh. but I've read oh. a good chunk of it. So I won't spoil it. For I know you. you're a big manga guy. So. Yeah, well, I, that, that's actually very recent because I was I wasn't as into manga as I am right now. Mm-hmm. I was like more a comics guy. Mm-hmm. It's like like I liked anime, mm-hmm. but I never really read too much manga mm-hmm. and just would just always read comics. Well, you crushed house. One Piece, so yeah, that was you're that an was insane a insane person. That was a crazy experience. <laughs> that, that I think that was my initiation to yeah. being a, like a true weeb slash otaku. What which, it, it's, which is God the, damn it, yeah. <laughs> what it like? 
I don't know, be weird to you to now just attack something shorter? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I have, yeah. I read, I read, I got the Shonen Jump has this app where you pay two bucks a month and read a hundred chapters a day. Damn. Yeah, you can read up to a hundred. And I actually got to that cap where I was reading through chapters. I was reading through Dragon Ball Z. And then they're like, you've reached your limit. You have to wait four hours until you can keep reading. Wow. And I was like, whoa, that's crazy that I've read this much. <laughs> but I've read through probably, I've caught up to about like three or four series. And I finished like a series. Like I finished, I read all Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z. God damn. And I read most of Naruto. I read like Bleach. read damn. this one story, Promised Neverland, which is crazy. Yeah. And Black Clover. And I think those were the only ones. Jeez. Yeah. And then my friend, my friend's like a true otaku, like one of my best friends. And he's like, yo, have you read the newest things? Like, yo, I haven't caught to that title because he's just like <laughs> goes through them all. So holy shit. Yeah. It's That's crazy. legit. Yeah. Uh, I'm keeping all of this in. Bringing, <laughs> bringing it back. Um, so when you started teaching like as a, a thing that you do, yeah. what's some of the stuff that you had to like learn to like to become a better teacher? Like, yeah. Um, <clears throat> A lot of it was, <clears throat> I think partially, pedagogy is it was strange because a lot of it's like on-the-job training, but I think mostly college, when you're like doing education courses in college, you're just like learning the material mm-hmm. of like you're learning. I like had to learn how to play like a woodwind instrument and a brass instrument and uh, like took choral conducting classes, have to take big, big, like basic uh, rudimentary things. Um, and learned about curriculum planning and learned about this. But then once I actually got into the field, I feel like <clears throat> I learned so much more. Like my student teaching, I student taught in Brighton at the Edison School and at the Roland Hayes Music School in O'Brien in Roxbury. Mm-hmm. And those were very enlightening because I just realized how bad I am. <laughs> like <laughs> Dude, I teach because every student teacher is like, you know. It's so humbling. It's so humbling. And you feel like, <laughs> like crap after yeah. ever. Like, that was the experience where I had kids cursing at me, calling me like every type of slur, um, and just being like. And these are kids who are like, like you know, inner city kids who just gotta go through it so much. Mm-hmm. So I'm trying to like understand that, and that's on the job is when I really learned about social emotional learning. Yeah, and really learned about like uh, the purpose of teaching is not to like teach content but to teach character. Mm. Um, and so I learned a lot about, like, my first job, I was at taught a charter school in Salem and learned a lot about classroom management um, and community building and how they're kind of intertwined. And then um, I actually took this really good workshop while I was working for, at one of the nonprofits in New York that talked about building positive relationships. Mm. And yeah, they use a lot of, like, different mnemonic devices and, like, metaphors. Um, but really it's about, like, Classroom management is just about building positive relationships Mm. with your students. Um, So some of that could be invest. He called it investing in the emotional piggy bank. Ask them how their day is. Asking uh, whose kid is. Because say if you have two different kids, you have have two different relationships with, and you give them the same direction, they're gonna have two different responses. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, a kid could be like, you ask them to like, please stop talking to them. Be like, okay, sorry. And then one be like, fuck you. Mm -hmm. You Could say that straight. So it's about like building those relationships with those students and try and like navigate that um, and really being mindful of that. And just, uh, I feel like that's most of my training of like as a teacher, it wasn't so much of like teaching the actual contents of music, but more so like teaching students. Yeah. And then also I think personally it's just, I'm always trying to get better at my own craft. I like being a better guitarist. So when I'm like 
uh, teaching like a guitar class, I, I understand the instrument so much and the mechanics of it that I could teach little, little nuances and like able to build a, a really strong community. Like I have this one class of these kids who uh, it's mixed. It's like sixth through eighth grade, but that is probably one of my best class save face for like one kid who just like doesn't do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one kid, I'm still trying to build relationships and I'm like, sometimes I'm really hard on him. Some days I'm really empathetic and it's like, you got, it's hard, it's hard too. And, uh, learned a lot about like self care as a teacher too. And you're managing your like own mental health and your own stress. So like, um, learning about just, uh, taking like a deep breath when you're being overwhelmed and all these things are happening and just being very clear and like calm about giving instruction, um, which I learned from therapy, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I feel like is very important for teachers too, is that you have to really, uh, these are things that you don't really learn in school, but you have to be really, uh, I don't feel like systemic is the right word, but, um, establish routines mm-hmm. really well because you're trying to like when a kid enters your classroom you, they enter your world mm-hmm. and they enter like a specific universe and they have to know the rules and guidelines and expectations of that of mm-hmm. that world and sometimes it's really hard too because it's you only can control so much and learning about like the bureaucracy of education and of school systems and like how messy certain things are and why I know why some programs I teach at are better than others is because systemically or administratively they are function. They're more better functioning, or they're smaller on weather than trying to work on a bigger scale. Like I worked at this one nonprofit where I like service schools all throughout the city, and you just it was like a partnership kind of thing where we offered after school services, and those would always be a lot of messes because it would be a lot of like a lot of administrative issues with like the principal was crazy, or this one principal was like a Staten Island Trump supporter and doesn't even like talk to us, or this other one. Oh, the lights went out. It's uh, gonna move. Uh, uh, one or one person does this or this person did communicate they didn't know you were coming so it's a lot of administrative issues have such a huge effect on the classroom oh yeah because it has like affects the students well-being while I worked at that program I worked at in the Bronx was just a it was an after school program that it, the center was a renovated uh, parking lot of a low income housing unit okay so kids would just come from that area and they had to live in that area and they would just, it was like a completely free program. It was a scholarship program, but they kicked kids out if you didn't like meet certain guidelines. So it was like kind of strict, but they got all these like perks and like scholarships and like networking and stuff. And that program was always really strong because the, it was smaller, the staff was smaller and the, the kids were not, the, the student body wasn't that large either. It was like, cause it was a specialized program. So it's, it's really tricky. And the same thing here, like uh, at, at Zoomix, it's like, a lot of different things. Kids act a certain way, different when it's like an after-school program versus when it's at school, yeah. and learn how to navigate that. So, um, it's I think feel like working in the field gets it's a more teaching experience than just learning what you do in in college. Yeah, which is and to be fair, I like I don't know what's like the best way of like teaching how to teach. Yeah, without, without doing it. I mean, I went yeah. to undergrad for learning right, how to you know. teach and it's still hard it, it, yeah you literally have to be doing it to figure it out yeah and it's hard to like unlearn some of the things you've been taught just so that you can like meet the needs of the students that are in front of you right and, like that's the really the big problem is they teach you they they 
that a lot of places will teach you to be prepared for this like almost idealized classroom and then you get in there and then then you just have to like figure out how to actually meet the needs of the students that are sitting there in yeah. front of you because it's not idealized at all. Yeah. Cuz you're taught how to te- teach content. Yep. Basically that's basically what it is. It is. You're like how does like you're like learning about student learning, but it's 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 you just learn weird. about development, but you don't learn about like what it actually looks like to yeah. be um, a student in 2019, right? Still figuring out their shit, and they've got their phones in front of them, right? And, their and relationships then relationships and shit. And there should be talk like child psychology. My child psychology teacher was a shithead. Yeah, he was just a psychology teacher who was asked to teach psychology there you go, yeah. but he wasn't an expert in the field Good. so literally we spent like three weeks on the same topic and he was just making up what's going on so damn a lot of stuff like that yeah there weren't actually educational specialists at that school what would you say um is like your favorite part of doing all the teaching work though um i think uh <clears throat> well being a performing arts teacher like a music teacher there's always concerts that you're working towards and so it's that's like kind of how you show your proof of student work is at at the concerts. Um, but I feel like that wouldn't be my favorite favorite part. Uh, my favorite part is like the before and after. It's like when you're in the weeds and like you develop these relationships with like professional relationships with these kids, uh, professional but positive, where they could like show a certain self of the show themselves to you and like are talking to you and some, and it's just like seeing their humor or just like seeing like their humanity of it like they have this one kid literally like saw him walked into my class he's like why do people hate arachnids so much and started telling me all these facts about centipedes the other day and i was like i don't know nicholas can you find this <laughs> or like things like that or things like um seeing them afterwards and like running into students afterwards and still like hearing how they are and how they're functioning and like the posts uh classroom student yeah. you know when they graduate and you see them get older or like like literally yesterday i was talking to my coworker from that program in the bronx and mm-hmm. she was telling me how like all the kids say they miss me mm-hmm. and the guy i took my job is not that good but yeah. um they all like they all like always miss me and said there was like a lot of fun and i think with, with my students one of the ways i do that and one of the ways i build community with them is i have like a uh, three rules that i always go by um that it's like use uh, be smart, be kind, be brave, mm-hmm. and I had like a psalm for them. So they like it's because it's a music class. They tap their head, and it's like number one, use your head. Number two, use your heart. Number three, use your gut, and that is how we make our art. So I always do that. I always do that for like the younger kids. Yeah. And then like whenever a kid like is, I I use that later in the classroom. So like a kid makes fun of another kid. It's like, hey, what's our second rule? Mm-hmm. Or but, like kids like being like just running around being so like, what's our first rule? Or a kid's mm-hmm. afraid to like speak out. It's like, what's our third rule? Mm-hmm. And then I always do the thing. I always just start the chant, and we always have to do it. And so yeah. it's like, and it's also building on like types of learning, like kinetic learning, uh, uh, visual learning, or oral learning, like learning by ear. So, and try and, like, establish these things. And I would always do that throughout the year. And then whenever I left the program, at the end, I would always say, uh, I'd give, like, my, my goodbye speech would always be revolved around those three rules. Like, uh, I'm saying, I tell you to be follow these three rules because in life, not just in my music class, but in life, you always have to be smart, be kind, and be brave. And if you follow those three rules, you will always succeed and you'll mm-hmm. be fine in life. Yeah. So it's. I think that's the seeing the after effects, seeing them after isn't the most rewarding. That's the scene, some seeing how some kids are right, or like 
I don't know. Sometimes I don't hear from kids at all, and it's like. Yeah. But but the ones I do hear, I think it's just that is most rewarding for me. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. More so that. than like the end of the year concerts or anything, or anything yeah. like that. So yeah. I guess you could say since the sixth grade okay. when I was like after you see school rock we're like yo let's start a band yeah my friend uh my best friends still still my best friend for this day growing up uh Brad was like yo let's start a band together and I'm like okay and we, it would just be me and him in a room writing songs and just like I remember we had this one song called this like punk song we had called Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory hell yeah which was I think just the chorus was a Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory hey Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory hey. <laughs> so like really like bad religion rancid yeah, type yeah, yeah. vibe punk uh, standards right punk, there punk standards were all punk songs then in high school middle school and high school it was like mostly like a ska band a lot of ska songs classic <clears throat> yep typical New Jersey suburban thing to do um, and then when I got to college, uh, I started Eichel Giants with Sander, um, and, uh, Dylan Hanry, Nick Cashel. And we did Eichel Giants for most of college until the last year when, uh, Dylan moved back to Seattle. And then since that finish, I started, uh, we started, um, what was formerly known as People Like You, now known as Really From. Mm-hmm. And that's been going on since 2014, which I guess would be this year's could be our fifth anniversary of that band. Um, and then uh, I've started, I had a band, uh, a punk band, Pendejo, mm-hmm. with uh, Dylan Zobel and Zach Sandel. Um, and then I just started my uh, first solo EP. Yeah. Uh, that I put out on Friday, this past Friday. Yeah. I don't know when to put this out, but it was on the 3rd. On the 3rd. Mm-hmm. We're recording this on the 5th on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. Hell yeah. <laughs> kind of a problematic thing that happened you in know, America. Just... Not a big deal, whatever. Whatever. Um, so when you got into, when you were doing the college band, I Kill Giants became a whole thing, though. Apparently, we didn't realize that till after the facts. Really? Yeah, I was very ignorant to it. <laughs> And didn't had no idea because <clears throat> um, I literally have a couple students that say that I Kill Giants is like one of their favorite bands. That's and wild. like that blew me away. I was that's, like, what? I know the guy in the yeah, band. Yeah, <laughs> we lived with we lived, <laughs> lived together. With the guy in the band. That's crazy. Yeah, I, my friend was in the mall. Uh, my friend Brad from uh, that was in bands with in high school. He was in the mall in like New Jersey, New York, and saw someone with like an I Kill Giant shirt. And it was just like some kid. Yeah. And then like I've had people reach out to me. Like this one one person reached out to me and they're like, oh, we would always listen to you in high school. 
and now I'm in college, and your your music is like reminds me of like high school days. And uh-huh. I'm like, that's such a weird combination of weird words to hear from a person. <laughs> it's just yeah, I, don't, I I had no idea. We didn't realize it. I think if we knew about it, we might have not break, broken up. I don't know. Mm. But it was also good that like I I've, I've said this a lot of times, but I feel like when we ended, when we did. It was, like, the right time because we were all on good terms and we were all friends at the time and, like, everything was, like, kosher. You know what I mean? Yeah, you didn't push it. You didn't push it. You know when you're, like, in a relationship and, like, it's good but you're, like, you know, this is probably a good place to end it. Yeah. And we've got to, like, move on. Yeah. It's kind of hard but it's, like, kind of nice. No, yeah, I've had a few of those. Yeah. You know just kind of like, you know what? If we're actually going to maintain civility here, we probably should just... There's no longevity to this. Right. And you can see it. You can, <laughs> you see, can it. see it. Even though if things are good, yeah. you'd be like, I can see that this couldn't possibly not end well. Mm-hmm. So maybe let's end it right Yeah, where it's good yeah. between everyone. No, it makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. Um, when you were working in that band, though, what was that the product of? Like, um, just kind of what you were going through at the time or even what you were listening to at the time or was it yeah what do you think was influencing Um, i kill giants i feel like i kill giants was the band that i wanted to be in in high school okay like i was listening like again i I liked a lot of scott music but then i was listening to a lot like all of jeff rose and socks catalog from like bomb the music industry was like my favorite band and then like all the revival Mm -hmm. emo revival shit like algernon was huge on me um and so was uh you know clockamora world is and then a lot of post-hardcore music that i grew up listening to like at the drive-in and bear versus shark um a lot of those bands kind of like created what that sound was Mm -hmm. for at least for the majority of eichel giants uh lifespan and it was a lot of like loud but intricate music and trying to be like as heavy but minimal at the same time and try and be like very very emotive mm-hmm. and uh i was able to like in high school i wasn't able to like get that yelling screaming thing that i did um and try and speak from a place of honesty and again I, I did a lot of poetry in high in college so that kind of like bled its way into some michael giant songs um like uh i remember when we did the week uh, we can live in the exact same place. Was the e- short EP where all the songs were less than a minute, like yeah. thirty seconds or I so. Have the seven inch. Oh, sick! Yeah. <laughs> so when we did that, I remember Dylan just had the idea of like, oh, let's just write all, let's all write thirty second songs. So I had one song uh, that I wrote, and then like a lot of it was like very reactionary and very fast. That music yeah. was a very urgent type of music where like had a life experience and then wrote a song about it, mm-hmm. or it was like. A lot of, lot of emotional stuff, a lot of, like, nostalgic stuff. Yeah. I feel like nostalgia is kind of my brand at this point. <laughs> it's just always about, like, trying to, like, capture these pretty melodies from, like, kid songs I heard growing up from, like, you know, like cartoon shows, but, like, but like interpreting it in that way in, like, the, like the punk math rock setting, emo yeah. setting that we did. And I feel like that's what that, bi- that band was a byproduct of, which is a lot of, like, urgency and a lot of, like, need to, like, express yourself that didn't know how to. And it was a very yeah. good release of energy. It probably like, makes sense with why it didn't last as long, too. Right. Like, it was a quick snapshot of your life. Exactly, exactly. And, like, that type of music is hard to keep playing. Like, we did the reunion shows last year. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was very hard. Yeah. <laughs> it was, like, I had to drink a lot of tea. Because I don't, like, sing like that anymore. And then, like, Sandra was, like, talking about, like, those parts were so like difficult for him because he doesn't play like that anymore yeah so it's just again it's like a snapshot of like how we approach things at the time yeah and it was very 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 urgent 
Well, and then it evolved into something else, and now you've right. got really from. Right. Where did the inspiration to become like because you aren't even like really from isn't even the same band as it was the first album you all put out like they're yeah. still drastically somewhat different right so, f- um, where did that transition happen for you uh i feel like so uh the first people like you album this is what you learn uh was some songs were supposed to be i kill giant songs uh and it's like pretty apparent mm-hmm. if you hear it and it's like that's they sound the most similar it's like the bridge but i was listening to a lot of like I was getting better at guitar or like, you know, it was weird because in college I kind of had to fall out where I was like, oh, I don't like this instrument. I don't really care about playing it. And then like near the end of it, I was like, oh wait, I like playing this again. <laughs> and I got really into like Brazilian guitar and like fingerstyle. And then I got into like Japanese math rock bands like Toe mm-hmm. and, and or you like Pele or Mouse on the Keys. That type of stuff was like really influencing like the cleanness of it <clears throat> and how it's still having that like that urgency and that intensity, but also having that like it was a little more refined a little, not, I don't say prestige, but, like, a little more uh, mature sounding, I guess. Um, and so, a lot, the first album was very, like, kind of a bridge between what we were doing Ico Giants and then what we're doing today. And I feel like we had more of a jazzier, in fact, uh, um, influence, too. Uh, especially since, like, <clears throat> Matt and Michi weren't originally, like... Uh, part of the band until after the first album because I asked them to be a part of it because mm-hmm. I, I like their musicianship and their voices so much and then eventually when we started playing shows they just naturally joined the band mm-hmm. and when they naturally joined the band we wanted to make it more democratic and more collaborative <laughs> so they started bringing stuff into and then uh, the second album verse was very much about like trying to bring all those pieces together and that it was more so of a merging of our voices of like me being really into, like Modest Mouse and Toe and then like Michi had her like songwriting uh, style, and then Sander obviously has his voice, and Matt approaches things from like an arrangement perspective, and yeah. also from like his skill as a as a trumpet player. So that, I feel like verse was like a synthesis of all that together. It's more so kind of like what I Kill Giants was with like mm-hmm. all four of us were like were a lot younger. It wasn't just like me personally. It was like me and Dylan, and like when Nick and Sander brought like all four of us brought together. That's what. Mm-hmm. Really, from it is is to an extent of all of us bringing our own pieces, except just what we bring in. Was, it's just a little bit different than what the four of us and Michael Giants brought together. Yeah, you know I mean, yeah, for sure. Well, and it's like, like really, from's like really evolved into something that is like. I know that when one of my friends got, I was listening to verse in my car one uh, one day, and one of my buddies got in the car. And I think it was the end of the first song on verse. I forget the name of the song. Right. Um, and you like yell and you're like, I kill giant and giants yell. Yeah. Like right at the end of the song. <coughs> and he was like, wait, is that the guy from I kill giants? And I was like, yeah, it totally is. And he's like, he's in another band. I'm like, yeah, this is, well, at the time people like you. And he's like, oh, fuck yeah. Oh, and I sick. was like, yeah, there's like, it almost felt like that was like kind of passing of the torch to this new sound because oh, he did cool. not expect that at all. For yeah. this new sound, and so it feels like this evolution of, um, like a jazzier emo approach yeah. to it is like uh, been thrown around. Um, it's really um, becoming a sound in and of itself, like yeah. right now. I guess so. Yeah. Well, it, it, yeah. it's just something that I've been noticing a lot right now. Is yeah, it's like people in the crowd 
get get hard for that trumpet. <laughs> whenever like I'll go to a foxing gig and the second Connor pulls out his trumpet everyone's just like <laughs> getting super hard for it and I'm like hell yeah, yeah. but y'all travel with the trumpet player yeah he actually that's the only instrument he plays on the one band. of the sexiest parts of the shows <laughs> is the interludes where it's just him playing and everyone's just like fuck this is gorgeous like you guys yeah. bring this element to the show that is like completely absent among other bands is just yeah. having the ability to even make your interludes uh, a functional aspect of the sound, which yeah. is like unreal. Yeah. I think it's also too, we just uh, try not approach things with a gimmick. Um, like obviously no disrespect to Foxing, but like Matt is a trumpet player. Yeah. He's not like a vocalist who also plays trumpet or yeah. also plays that. Like, and bands who do that are sick. We saw, we played with this band on fr- this past Friday uh, called Living Hour mm-hmm. from Winnipeg. And they're like a kind of like a uh, dreamy pop indie band. Mm-hmm. And the lead singer brought out a trombone and played it. It was awesome. But yeah. like, I think with us, it's a little different because Matt is like, an this is actually, what he does. This is what, yeah, he's, he's, he's like a, has a very virtuosic claim. Mm-hmm. And he's like a high level musician on mm-hmm. his on his instrument. He's like, and really dedicated to improving his craft as like a trumpet player. Mm-hmm. So that like automatically, he, when he plays something, he wants to play it well. Mm-hmm. It's just who he is, and he wants to do things that are interesting. Like every, all, all of us want, like uh, we want, we never want to do things that's like a gimmick. Like every note we play, it doesn't like want. We want it to have intention, mm-hmm. and I think that purpose of intention <clears throat> affects the music as well. Uh, where it doesn't feel like a gimmick or doesn't feel like a throwaway thing. Like yeah. everything we're doing has purpose, and. Uh, we want to play to like the best of our abilities, so we're trying to create things that are interesting. Because honestly, if Matt just played like a few notes or something, he'd be so bored. Yeah, it's 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 more so just like keeping ourselves entertained yeah. and make sure we are excited playing this uh, these songs too. Well, and to make sure that it's a full band experience, right? It's not exactly. Just like someone does something and then just stands on the stage and yeah, he's not a featured player. Basically, kind of waits and just. <clears throat> checks out their nails or whatever. Yeah, it's yeah. just more of like it's actually a cohesive exactly, approach, and but, that's what and you want. Right, you should want. Yeah, least. and there when we have moments where like, oh, maybe we shouldn't play here because we don't need this or we don't need that, mm-hmm. or also it's like Matt doesn't play because he's like, I need to breathe. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, like yeah. he can't like constantly keep playing the whole time. Yeah, so it's partially that as well, where For sure. it's where we're just like. Um, try and I guess not intentionally try and like invent a new sound but just make music that we like that's interesting to us and that like has purpose we're just we're very very, like concerned about like the craft of a song I feel like nice now what made you want to do a solo album uh so for solo it's a uh kind of interesting story so at first how the EP is tracked is kind of backwards to when I wrote it chronologically. So the last song on the EP is the first song that I wrote for it. Okay. And that was originally like, oh, written this... Written by Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, written yeah. by Golden Gate Bridge. Um, and that song was originally really like, oh, uh, we could use this for like really fun or something. This like, I did a, a solo trip down the West Coast. Like I rented a car and drove from Seattle to LA by myself. I've never done that before. And I wrote that by the Golden Gate Bridge when mm-hmm. I was in San Francisco and writing down and like the verses I wrote like just like couplets of it at a time during that trip and it's like oh I have this thing but it's like I don't know what to do with it and it sounds like a lot of me and then um, a lot of of songs in the EP uh, were written for my partner 
mm-hmm. was like during like when we were like started talking and stuff. So I ha- I've written a lot of songs that like weren't. I was writing it on my uh, acoustic guitar, my classical guitar, and uh, I didn't know where it fit. I was like, this is like not really really from song or it's not really like a pendejo song i don't want it to fit both any of those boxes or change it so it like fits it and it's also they're very like personal songs it was a lot of me mm-hmm. so because these songs sounded like a lot of me i wanted to just like take ownership over it yeah. and i was like ah oh, fuck it i'll just make my own ep and just like do make these songs myself and just release it myself and just yeah. make it just on solo guitar and then i hit on my friend matt politowski from uh Animal Flag. Yep. Who's on the podcast around this time last year. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so I talked to him to see if he wanted to uh, produce produce it, and he was really into the idea. So uh, he moved back to, like, New York, uh, upstate New York, and I went over his house, and we just, like, spent two different weekends working on it. And it was, it was really fun, too. That was, like, a really fun experience recording the EP. But, yeah, that's basically the, the synthesis of it was, like, I had these songs. They sounded a lot like me. And then actually the first song on the EP, I wrote in between tracking the instrumentals and the vocals. And it was like the last song I wrote for that. And I was like, oh, I just want to... It's a very personal album, a uh, personal EP, and it's like written for a specific person. So mm-hmm. I'd rather just like be mine, let it be mine, and just take ownership and just release into the world and let, let them take it. Rather than being like, making a big deal, like, oh, this is for a release or this is for a thing, this is for a label, this is for a premiere. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, Going yeah. through, like, the motions of releasing music. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to make something on my own and just, like, give it out. And put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. And see if anyone paid attention. Well, there's a lot of, like, I mentioned this before we started recording, there's a lot of different, like, sounds that are you. Yeah. Like, you say this sounds a lot like me, but what sounds a lot like you is a lot of different things. Fair. Like, <laughs> there's the punk sound, there's the jazzy sound, there's the heartfelt like finger style guitar that you just throw out there and like the yeah. instrumentals you really focus on yeah. um like all of that is you though so when yeah. it came to like putting together all of the sounds how did you know it was gonna like did you even have in mind an idea for flow or were you just like here is what i'm just putting these songs together what what, yeah. what was your process and so a lot of songs that when i wrote <clears throat> it was just guitar and vocals. So everything that's, every, all the guitar and vocal parts you hear on it was like the original thing. And then I showed it to my friend Matt. Like he came over and I just played the songs for him. I had like about like seven to nine and I cut it down to like five or six. Um, and I was like, these are all the songs that I have so far. Um, and what do you think? And he was like, he was actually really functioned as a producer at that time. I was like, all right, I'm hearing this. I'm hearing that, hearing a drum beat here, maybe natural sounds here. Um, and then I had like some ideas for I want the songs to sound like. Like the first, the second song, I want to sound very distortion-y, and very, yep. but, but, but without any drums. I was like, my, my intention for that. And then when I was recording some, like I recorded all the demos on my, on my laptop on GarageBand, and I had one part where it was like a punk rock part. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, I just want it to be like a straight ahead, <laughs> straight ahead yeah. punk, punk part. Um, and... I uh, like just like program the drums myself or like here I was like oh I'll add like a MIDI thing here I was like little things mm-hmm. that like this is the general idea and then when I showed it to Matt Matt really helped me flesh it out where mm-hmm. he was like I have a slide guitar let's do something with this or mm-hmm. here's a banjo record something with this he was just like his process was a lot of I have all these instruments I have all these sounds um, here are some pads take it 
create something out of it. Yeah. Was, was his process. Like, the coolest thing we did was uh, for the one song, the EP, Dream Song, we, uh, uh, he had a four-track tape recorder, and he just literally taped, he had, like, a little Casio keyboard, literally taped a note down, recorded two minutes of that same note to s- sustained, and then we did that for four different notes of just completely the same on the tape recorder, and then he just pressed record, and I just, like, faded in and out these four notes that would fit in the chords of the guitar that I was hmm. playing. And that was really cool because I've never done anything like that before. He's got a freaking brain for that stuff. Yeah, man. he has a really, like, uh, composer, arranger-type brain, too. I don't get it. And it's it's interesting. Yeah, he's, that, he's, he's amazing. He's a master. Yeah. But um, a lot of that, the weird sounds is credited to him of, like, really thinking of, like, oh, I have these, I told him my ideas, and he, like, he kind of knew how, like, to bring those ideas to life. Or it'd be like, oh, I have this. I have this tape recorder. Let's record through a tape recorder. Or let's add this MIDI thing. Or like, I have these sounds here. Or I have this here. So it was a lot of collaborating with him. And that was like different for me too. Because I wanted this EP. Because it was on me, I wanted to work with people I'd never worked with before. Yeah. So I've never made music with Matt before. Yeah. And then I had some people, uh, some friends, uh, play on the EP too. That I would just like reach out to them. And I was like, hey, can you record this short little thing here, or can you record this there? And they would just send it to me. Hmm. And it was like very, it was a very interesting uh, uh, experience. So while too. it was a big part of you, you're also like opening yourself up. Yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, you could you could say that. Because um, like that that I mean it's it's a lot of as someone who's like made music on my own for yeah. a while. Like, it's, there's a lot of vulnerability in putting yourself out there, yeah. like, by yourself. But yeah. then also bringing in people to help you with that is also terrifying. Yeah, Because no. you're like, this isn't me. This part isn't me, though. Yeah. No, it's it's scary. Like, Matt, I knew for a while, to- long time, so I, like, hit him up. It's like, hey, I have an idea. I want to run this by you. And then we just had a phone call, and I was like, explaining my idea to him. And he was on board, and I was like, oh, man, I don't know if he's, what he's going to say. And then my uh, someone I knew... I like posted a de- the demo of like the punk song that I was talking about on Instagram, and then my friend DM me. He's like, "Yo, if you ever need to track that, just let me know." And mm-hmm. It's like 15 seconds of music, and then I asked, "Hey, can you do this?" Like, "Yeah, sure." And he just did it right away. Yeah. And then I even I was even afraid to ask like my bet one of my best friends to like play on it, and he's like, "Yeah, of course. Why would I?" Do? <laughs> that was really. Annoying. And then I reached these two. Uh, there's one song uh, that's like about Puerto Rico, and I asked this uh, Puerto Rican musician that I never really met, but. She's the first person to graduate from Berkeley on this traditional Puerto Rican instrument called the cuatro. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I like found her because she did she studied music music ed too, so we had a lot of mutuals on Facebook. Mm-hmm. And I asked her first. I reached out to her for uh, a unit I was teaching on Puerto Rican music at uh, in one of my classes. And then I reached out to her because like, hey, do you want to do this? Just <laughs> like I was really like, it's totally fine if you can't do this. It's totally okay. And she's like, yeah, sure. And it was like totally chill. And then I asked someone else to stay on same approach. I was like, hey. I have this idea. I'd love for you to be part of it. If you can't, that's totally cool. Totally yeah. fine. I'm sorry. <laughs> very, sorry in advance. Yeah. And, uh... <laughs> it was just like a lot. It was so much nerves. So it was very scary. And it's still like very scary to yeah. like put yourself out there. For and I'm sure. like, oh. So, um, I was like, I don't even know if anyone's going to listen to it too. Because yeah. you like, I don't know how the algorithm works. And like mm. self-promotion is a motherfucker. Yeah, it is. So uh, it was just, it was just tricky. But I like, I'm so grateful for the people who decide to like take part of it and yeah. contribute their ta- talents and I'm always grateful for people to listen to it even if it's like a handful for that's sure. always nice too 
And yeah, I mean, I, I remember the same kind of like paranoia when I reached out to Tyler Hicks. Do you know Tyler from I.O.? I don't think so. No. Okay. Well, I asked him to like help me produce this album that I was putting out right. like a couple years ago. And he, um, I was like, I don't know if you'd want to spend your time helping me out with this thing, but it'd be yeah. really cool if you could help me out with this thing. Yeah. And like he helped me ended up, he helped me uh, by ending up like writing and producing like a shit ton of the EP and yeah. making it this like lush production that I never thought I'd be able to make. And so like yeah. it was one of those things that, and it's like the most personal thing I've ever written. Right. And he was like, yeah, I'll help you out with this. This is awesome. Yeah. Um, so, one of the songs that stands out to me a lot on the EP was uh, Hurricane is a Taino word. Yeah. Taino? Yeah, Taino. Yeah. Yeah, Taino word. Yeah. Um, can you talk a little bit about that track? Um, sure. And like what went into it and what influenced it? Um, yeah, so I wrote that song <clears throat> shortly after Hurricane Maria. Um, for those who don't know, that's the hurricane that devastated the island in 2017, September 2017. And... They didn't have power for about, man, what was it, like five weeks, five yeah. to eight weeks, something crazy like that. It was a while. I remember yeah. I, I raised money for my uh, my Dias, Dias and Dias uh, on the island who just didn't have no power. Uh, so my context, my family lives on the mountains on the west side of the island in the town of Mayaguez. And uh, they didn't have power. And my mom went back. Because uh, she goes whenever to deal with family things, whenever like a relative dies or a situation like that happened. Yeah. So I think it was a combination of the hurricane and uh, one of my mom's uh, Dia's passing away that she had to go back to the island. And I could be I could be wrong, but I remember she went and she told me like my family has a house up there that my grandfather built, and she wanted to go check on the house, and it was like completely destroyed and all. There, they live on top of a mountain. There was all this lush green, like all this forest, and it was completely like leveled. And it was just a, there was a lot of gray and a lot of silence there. So, um, and they were like, my I had this one, uh, I think Didi Goka or someone was saying how they didn't have any light. So when they whenever it was night, they would always be lit by the moon or by the city, like the lights by the plaza, like down in the main top part of town. And that's how they like got by. So I remember around that time, I we like raised money for. Uh, for to get get them a generator and to send them a generator, which we have, which we ended up raising money really fast, and uh, my family up there got it. Um, and then uh, I wrote that song around the same time, where I was really trying to like I wanted to write a song about Maria and Puerto Rico. Like everyone was like writing, making art about it. Like mm -hmm. every uh, everyone on the island, like so many Puerto Rican artists were making art, like making songs about it. Um, and so my contribution was trying to create, uh, paint the picture of what was going on there. And I mean, also before the hurricane, shit wasn't that great because they were in a, uh, economic crisis with the $70 billion debt. Uh, it's really complicated. And because of their, uh, status as a U.S. territory or U.S. colony, to be more exact, they can't really get a lot of financial support. So at the time, the year before 2016, there was a lot of shit going on. People were talking about the the debt in Puerto Rico um, and how it was hurting hurting the island, hurting the hospitals, hurting the schools. So I wanted to like create, write a song about that, and Maria kind of amplified it. And lyrically, all the song, everything I'm referencing was either things that I read or firsthand account from my mom about what she saw on the island, 
how the streets were flooded and there was a lot of protests going on. So there's a part at the end of the song where I actually like sampled a protest song that they that I heard. Uh, people were protesting against the schools uh, or to op- reopen the schools. Um, and the title is referencing uh, the word hurricane is actually f- derived from the this thing called, uh, is it Demi? No, no, no. I forget the actual word, but it's basically like the Dainos are the indigenous people of Puerto Rico and they had this uh, deity called Huracan, which was like the deity of chaos. Mm-hmm. And deity of chaos would always wreak, like, ravage the island through the hurricanes because hurricanes were so uh, frequent around there. So that's the origin of that word is hurricane. And that's why in like Southeast Asia, they call it typhoons. It's the same exact thing, but it's mm-hmm. just like, it's, a, it's an indigenous word. Um, and musically, I based a lot of the guitar playing um, on like traditional Puerto Rican rhythms, Puerto Rican music, and then had like try to get r- traditional Puerto Rican instruments on too. So I a- added like the clave and like the guiro, these different percussion percussive instruments. Um, and had that uh, woman, uh, her name was Fabiola Mendez, tr- to play cuatro, the traditional Puerto Rican instrument, uh, to s- improvise over it. And then I had my friend Samuel play. He actually played a Ghanaian instrument, and I don't remember the name of it. I don't want to mispronounce it, but it was mm-hmm. a like a traditional Ghanaian hand drum. Uh, they played on it. And I wanted to really the song to sound really, really natural and uh, as Puerto Rican as it could. So that that's basically where that song stemmed from. Is like in response to everything that was going on. All right, it's time for the music break portion of the podcast. I'm going to bring you a track from the new Chris Lee Rodriguez uh, album, which is called It Could Happen. The song is called Hurricane is the Taino word. Uh, Chris uh, explained what that means in the most recent segment of the episode. So I'm excited to actually bring you the full song right now. It's actually my favorite song on the album itself. So I hope that you dig it as well. Um, if you want to check out more, go to Chris Lee Rodriguez, uh, bandcamp.com and you can hear all of the sounds. You can also stream it really anywhere and you can, uh, download it and put it in your ears on your own time. However you want to hear it, cause you're going to end up hearing th- another song at the very end of the episode. So you've heard like about half of the, the, the album by now or by the end of this episode. So you're, you're going to be, you're, I hope you enjoy it. That's, that's what I hope. But yeah, so let's listen to Hurricane is a Taino Word by Chris Lee Rodriguez. The roof flew with a storm The streets are slowly sinking trees are all torn From the ground the green is missing The top of the mountain is powerless The moon can't last the night Can they afford another hour of this? Somebody bring back the light The water rooftops and light The power light up
telling people how they can get a hold of your music. Dope. Sick. Okay, cool. <laughs> the, the important thing. The important thing. And you've got a big gig at the end of the month. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so what's your favorite color? Blue. Blue? What's your favorite kind of food? Uh, damn. Uh, depending on the day, but I'm Puerto Rican and Chinese, so the there's these pan-fried noodles with beef and tomatoes. Uh, in Chinatown, New York, that is the best pan-fried noodles in the world. I love those, and I love my grandma's uh, oros con gandules. Hell yeah. So those two, I would say. Um, what What's the, your favorite place you've ever traveled? Favorite place I've ever traveled? Probably Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico? Yeah. I also loved, uh, I like Chicago a lot. I like the Pacific Northwest a lot. That's um, my home, baby. Yeah, you're from or- Oregon. Por- Oregon, Oregon. Portland or near Yeah, Portland? just south of Portland. Just south of Portland. Fine. Portland's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Love and just Northern California is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and I I would say Spain, but I got bad stomach virus from there, so I'm still tight about that. Oh, no. But south of Spain, where I stayed for a few weeks, was gorgeous, too. Hell yeah. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite book? Uh... So my favorite book of all time was Brief Wonder's Life of Oscar Wilde by Juno Diaz. There was a controversy that came out about yeah. him, which is hard, but I can't deny that that book was still very impactful to me. Yeah. And I still say that is my favorite book of all time. Cool. Because it was about a fat Latino nerd from New Jersey, <laughs> and he was Dominican, and I was like, oh, I'm kind of like that. Yeah. So <laughs> You see yourself it. reflected. Somewhere. Yeah, yeah. So I can't, I can't deny the importance <laughs> of that book in my life, while also reckoning with the fact that the author yeah. has done a lot of bad things yeah um what's your favorite movie uh cool runnings movie hell about the yeah. jamaican bobsled team hell yeah um do you have a favorite anime uh one piece one piece one piece is the greatest story ever told damn it's crazy it's i've about, still never watched it uh yeah damn. i would suggest reading it because the anime is not as good but it's like my second favorite thing underneath Avatar Last Airbender. Oh, shit. Which I don't consider an anime, but One Piece is probably the best anime in the world. Okay. Or best manga in the world. It's, okay. it's amazing. I was literally going to ask like, if you had a favorite cartoon, because I also know that you love 
yeah. Steven Universe. Oh, I love Steven Universe. <laughs> yeah, that show makes me cry all the time. Yeah, I, I was going to try to figure out a way to like piece that into the conversation. Oh. <laughs> but can you just tell me your allure of, or your what draws you to Steven oh, Universe? Oh, um... Everything. Okay. Just, uh, <laughs> literally, the music is amazing. Yeah. Her songwriting is so good. Mm-hmm. If everyone wants a, like, a one-on-one crash course on how to write a song, you just need to listen to that soundtrack. Yeah. Like, her rhyme schemes are sick. How she uses it like in a, as in like a musical theater function. Uh, the jokes are hilarious. Mm-hmm. Uh, the representation is great. Um, the colors. Mm-hmm. The color palette that they use for that it's show. It's, it's dreamy. I love his house. The, the 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 mythos of the show is amazing, um, and just how they use like under under represented voices and marginalized voices as like, the forefront and use it as like a superpower, yeah. and like how they use like empathy as a superpower, and it's like a great it's a great tool for kids. I think it's a it's a great show for kids because it's actually like showing. A show that doesn't ha- say not not saying that might is right, mm-hmm. and just like there's like strength in uh, in being yourself, like strength in like basically like it's for like young queer kids mm-hmm. and like young kids of color, it's like mm-hmm. strength for being different, um, and especially with, like the mythos of like how gems and diamonds work in that show. Um, so that's amazing, and also the thing I know about Steven Universe is that everyone loves it. Like when I taught in the Bronx. Mm-hmm. All those kids love Steven yeah. Universe. We had like a spirit week and it was like, wear your favorite cartoon show shirt or something. Mm-hmm. And I wore my Steven Universe shirt and they all lost their minds. And then I played the theme song for them and they all loved it so much. And then something happened in the show. There was a huge twist and the kids were losing their minds. And these are just like Dominican, like black and black kids from the Bronx just yeah. like freaking out over this show about Steven Universe. Even the teenagers, like the teens were really into it. The High school juniors love that show. Yeah. It's like, oh, Mr. I love that show. That's so sick. So just the appeal of it and just how it just like crosses boundaries. It's amazing. It's a, such a good show. Hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I tend to end these on like any bands, artists, music that you're listening to right now that you think people should check out or even like all time for you, okay. all time musicians. Uh, recently just came out. I'm listening to that new Amanda Palmer album. Oh yeah. It's really beautiful. Tank of the Bangas just released an album. That's pretty dope. Uh, check that out. Uh, Pup's new album's great. Very good. Love Pup's new album. Uh, shout out Insignificant Other just released an album. That's really dope. Um, I love Jeremy of Scottoon Network, even though it's, it's just covers, but what they're doing is like amazing. Super I, wrote, I wrote a whole Twitter essay about how yeah. important Scottoon Network is. Um, so I would say, like, recently, though, that's what comes to mind. And there's also, oh, man, Cardi B's album, Go. Uh, I think um, songs or, like, artists you should check out from all time, all time. Definitely, like, Bear vs. Shark was a mm-hmm. huge influence on me. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved, uh, shit. I mean, like, I grew up, Mutual Milk Hotel, Miles Mouse, great bands, uh, SZA. Yeah. Listen to SZA's album Control. Uh, love her. Um, the Black Panther soundtrack. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, oh, James Blake's new album is really good. Oh, yeah, yeah, He yeah. wrote it for yeah. his uh, girlfriend. He's dating Tahani from The Good Place. Oh, really? Yeah, the I album is about Tahani that. from The Good Place. Damn. Yeah, so that puts it in like a whole other context. That's legit. Yeah, so that's really good. You should check that out. Um, listen to... Uh, I like you know like jazz and classical music's great. Like cool. if you listen, and yeah, 
Uh, I feel like um, that's all I can think of. Oh, and listen to uh, Funny All Stars. Great salsa music. Sick. If you ever want to listen to good salsa, Funny All Stars is where to go. If you need some dancing tunes. You need some dancing tunes, want to take a salsa class, I'm not playing Funny All Stars, they're fucking up. <laughs> that's fair. So, how can people get a hold of your music? Um, uh, ChrisLeeRodriguez.bandcamp.com. You could download my EP. Uh, really from band, or yeah. really from bandcamp.com. Uh, we're also on Spotify, uh, on Apple Music. I Kill Giants, I think, is still on Spotify. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, you can look me up on my name, Chris Lee Rodriguez, on Spotify and Apple Music. Um, Twitter at Chris Chris underscore Lead underscore Row and just Chris Lee Row on Instagram. Uh, for my socials and uh, what's that gig at the end of the month we got a gig at the end of the month mm-hmm. it's at the Democracy Center uh, in Cambridge May 24th I'm playing with uh, Pink Navel Gauntly the Michael Character uh, you the Art of Survival we're gonna tabling. be there. we'll be tabling tabling as well as Pizza Pie Press does they do a lot of chat books for poetry zines and Moon Eaters Collective does a lot of zines for uh, a- Asian and Pacific, uh, Asian American Pacific Islander uh, voices. Hell yeah. And we're raising money for the this program by Defend Puerto Rico called Mensajeros de Polomas, which is raising money to get uh, photography and video equipment for uh, the young people in Comerillo, uh, which is uh, in the northern part of the island that got hit most by Maria. Mm-hmm. And the whole point of the project <clears throat> is to have young people tell their own stories and build their own own stories uh, in their own community so we're raising money for that that's so sick yeah i love the work that you're doing man thanks thanks so so much for having me of course man thanks so much for being willing to chat with me oh yeah of course fuck yeah awesome there we go we did it (laughs) (laughs) that's it we did it oh man another great episode of the podcast done I was really glad that Chris was willing to chat with me this week for the podcast and talk about his album, talk about all the music he's made throughout the years, and talk about what it's like educating uh, from his perspective. It's really great to learn how he reaches the kids, and I'm really proud of the, the work that he does. He's a wonderful wonderful lovely human being and i hope that you all support his music and support um local public education because uh we need it like really bad so go to chrisleerodriguez.bandcamp.com and you can get yourself digital copies of the new album it could happen uh listen to it stream it anywhere and everywhere and uh i mean he put it out himself so maybe throw him some shekels that'd be really great that'd be really helpful uh and yeah that's really all i got connect edu network connect edu.network go there and um listen to other podcasts that aren't just me listen to other uh, higher education people that'd be cool that'd be really great I think that people would like some of the other uh, podcasts that are in the network that I'm a part of. Also, go to artissurvival.com. That's our nonprofit. Support us. That'd be really great. There's a Patreon there and other stuff. You can also buy things from us if you want. Art of Survival. Um, We love you. (laughs) That's the new tagline. We we love you. All right, uh, I don't have much else. Just life and the school year is winding down, and so life is 
getting to calm down a little bit more and more and more. Uh, and I'm just hoping that I am able to chill out a little bit more moving forward. I hope the weather gets nicer here in Boston. It is not nice right now, uh, but hopefully it'll be better soon. But that's all I've got. I think I'm going to stop just talking randomly into my phone as I record this bit because I'm recording at work instead of at home. That's fine. Hope it doesn't sound too weird. Oh, well. But yeah, let's, uh, let's end this one. Until next week. Uh, let's get to work. You were in my dream last night. Started as a scary dream last night. Started in the hallway with no lights. There was a man chasing me with the nail gun. But it's not a nail gun. His hand was the nail gun. Now I'm in a diner. I'm sitting in a booth. And I'm sitting next to you, and you're sitting next to me And I think that you were smiling, remember you were smiling Then there was a movie, a big projector screen I don't know what was playing, but remember I was nervous Cause I wanna put my arm around you